0: Well, good morning. It is a joy to see you guys. If you have your Bibles, open to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to jump back into the beginning of our Bibles in Genesis 1, looking at the garden yet again this morning. Genesis 1, as you guys are turning there, just a quick uh, public service announcement for you guys. This last Thursday was my birthday, all right? Nothing like turning 27. Um, what are y'all laughing about? All right. <laughs> But in case you guys, you know, you're late to the games, you still want to get me some gift cards or whatever for my birthday, I I would gladly accept that. If you're still looking for a few potential gift ideas, birthdays provide a moment, at least for me as a kind of a gadgety tech kind of guy, to look at some of the newest inventions. In fact, Time, at the end of 2015, released a series of top inventions in 2015. At the top of that list was the hoverboard. Which some of you guys are hissing because you know that people are falling face flat on this thing all the time, all right? It is not safe, all right? Uh, But maybe a little more or less classy end of the spectrum of new inventions that hit us in the last couple years was the squatty potty, which I thought about writing the commercial this morning, but I thought I was going to lose you for the rest of the morning, all right? If you haven't seen the squatty potty, that's for another day and another sermon, all right? Uh, But also it was this one. Uh, I'll tell you guys, as I've hit kind of this age where I'm really kind of done with stuff and I really kind of is now trying to amass some experiences, kind of a life bucket kind of thing for me, was this indoor skydiving deal. So my parents uh, booked for both Marcy and I tickets so that next Saturday we're going to be doing this, this kind of tandem thing. That's going to be exactly what we're doing. All right. It's going to be just like that. Now, so as I watched videos, as I saw pictures, I really began to think to myself, why they called this thing I Fly, because really, as I looked at the videos, I kind of thought it might sound more like I peed all over myself, because it seems terrifying, right? <laughs> or I hurled all over myself, because people are just spinning constantly in crazy amounts of circles, right? But it looks really, really fun. So if I'm not here next Sunday, something went awfully awry, Okay. That's what you guys know, right? Uh, But really for me, really every single birthday really is a time to kind of think through what are some of the latest and the greatest and some of the newest things that are out there. It's a time really for me to kind of look back and go, hey, what is some of the greatest outlets or some of the greatest products of great creativity in the last year? And really as we continue our series on faith at work, really creativity is going to be an aspect that I really want us to focus on this morning. We've seen already two weeks ago that there's a great disconnect between faith and work. And so what we've been trying to do over the course of these few weeks is reconnect these two great topics, faith and work. And last week we saw, looking back in Genesis 1, where we'll pick back up this morning that there is a great connection because really what we see in Genesis 1 as the narrative begins is that God was the first to work, that he was the first to create out of nothing. And what he did over the course of the next six days of creation, that first work week, if you will, was a great model for what work was to be. A great picture of the connection between faith, that which is a belief and a trust in God, and work, which we do with our lives and our vocations. That there's a great connection, that God was the first to work, and therefore work has an incredible, exalted inauguration from Genesis chapter 1. We're going to see also that God is going to hand work off to Adam and Eve. And so as we jump in, really, what I want you guys to see this morning is that not just that there was a great design for work, as God will unpack for us, as we saw last week, but that there's great dignity in work. That if God designed work for us, then there is going to be, we're going to see this morning, great dignity in work. And specifically, we're going to look at this week and next week, this topic of dignity, and we're going to come at it from two different directions. Uh, this morning, I want to show you the activity that shows and highlights the dignity of work. And next week, I want to show you the motivation that highlights the dignity of work. The activity is what we're going to look at this morning, and it's going to be the activity of creativity. That creativity in our degrees and in our professions and our vocations provides a wonderful venue and platform upon which the dignity of work is going to be manifested. And in order for you guys to see that, I want to begin back in Genesis 1 and pick it back up. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, especially if you guys missed last week. I want you guys to see as our narrative opens what we find in the text about this first work week. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the text tells us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 2 verses 1 to 3 will sum up and summarize what happens in Genesis 1 in which it will tell us that God completed the work of creation. The Genesis 1 verse 1, this creativity as God speaks and creates out of nothing, Genesis 2 will highlight and define and summarize as work. But notice Genesis 1 verse 2. Notice what happens after he speaks and he creates the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 says, the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. That as God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1-1, what we find from Genesis 1-2 is that after that initial creativity, after that initial creation, it was formless and it was void. And so what God did over the next six days of Genesis 1 is that he filled and he formed his creation. That he brought structure to it, he brought design to it, and he fleshed out that creation and he developed it so much so that he's going to then hand that creation off to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2, and Adam and Eve will continue the work that God had started, but he hadn't finished. In fact, what God hands off to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2 is an unfinished product. That his creation, the earth itself, was an unfinished product, which is why Keller says very simply, he says this, speaking of the tendency to create and cultivate, he says that God made the world to need work. That it's not just that God designed humanity for work, but he designed the earth itself to need work, which is why it's kind of a no-brainer that then we're going to see Adam and Eve called to actually create and cultivate and tend to the garden that God first created and handed them into and put them into. That they're going to, in a sense, take this unfinished product and it's going to become their job, it's going to become their work to continue to develop it what was raw and to develop it further. Put much more philosophically and, and complexly, philosopher Al Walter says this, that the earth has been completely unformed and empty. And in the six-day process of development, God had formed it and filled it, but not completely. It was unfinished. People must now carry on the work of development by being fruitful. They fill it even more. By subduing it, they must form it even more. And as God's representatives, we carry on where God left off. But this is now to be a human development of the earth. The human race will fill the earth with its own kind, and it will form the earth for its own kind. And from now on, the development of the created earth will be societal and cultural in nature. What this philosopher is trying to do is trying to flesh out for us to understand exactly what it was that Adam and Eve were being mandated and commanded to do. That as they stepped into the garden, as they began to work and cultivate the garden, it wasn't just that they were to fill and procreate the earth, but they were to develop the earth. They were to take the created order, the natural order, and develop something out of it that had been previously unseen. In fact, you see this in the Genesis narrative here in the very beginning. Genesis 3, right after uh, they, Adam and Eve fall into sin, the first thing that God does, the first thing that he does in response to their sin is that he comes to them after an elaborate game of hide-and-go-seek where he says to them, where are you? And they kind of hide from God, which is never a great motive and plan, right? But after he comes to them, what does he do? He brings them clothes and he covers them. He takes the natural order and he develops something out of it that had not previously been there and it becomes a primary good and a product that they will enjoy clothes, Humanity will continue that pattern, as we're going to see in Genesis chapter 4, verses 2 and 22, tools will be made. In Genesis 4, verse 21, music will be made. It's the first time we see or we hear of music. And in Genesis chapter 9, verse 21, if you're 21 years of age, right, wine, all right? And the heavens flowed, right? All right, so it's great things, all right? They begin to take the natural order, and they create something out of it that had not been there prior. They develop the earth. They take it from something that was raw and they develop it into something that is new and advanced and more complicated, constantly innovating, constantly creating, constantly cultivating that which they had been entrusted with so that it becomes something different and better. That's exactly what God asked Adam and Eve to do is they were to cultivate and they were to tend the garden. They were to take the natural order and develop it into something even broader. And so really, as you think about even the storyline of our scriptures, think about the ark. Genesis begins with a garden, and in Revelations, we have new heavens and a new earth. And what comes down from the heavens? A city. A developed society is what comes down. The ark of our scriptures, Genesis, to Revelation, is garden to city which is going to be the fulfillment and the pattern of what God will ask Adam and Eve and he will ask us to do, which is why your vocations become the primary place where this kind of activity happens. The opportunity to create, the opportunity to cultivate, to take that which is the natural order and develop it into something new and different. For some of you guys, if I were to ask you what is your favorite game, uh, your answers might be diverse, all right? Uh, For me, my first game when I grew up was the game Sim City, all right? Some of our table hosts may remember it. Uh, For some of you guys, it may be Risk, which was one of my favorites, the game of Global Conquest. You build a kingdom and you destroy everyone, all right? It's glorious. Uh, Or Civilization, some of you guys might remember that one. Or for some of you, you're part of the cult group known as Settlers of Catan, all right? And you don't just have the main basic package. You have like the Seafarers expansion set. You know who you are. I'll have an illustration for you later on as well. Hang with it, wait for it, all right? But all kinds of games. What do all these games have in common though? I think all these games appeal to something that is, I think God divinely put in us and that's the desire and the delight to create, that there's something that these games appeal to that I think God has put inherently in us, and that's the delight that we have to create and to develop something that had prior not been there. In fact, as we talk about creativity, I think for many of you, as you think about creativity, you may instantly go, I'm not that person. (laughs) I'm not a musician. In fact, if you guys saw me up here, it would be an absolute train wreck, all right? Uh, Some of you may be like that. You go, hey, I don't do music. I don't do writing. I don't do uh, uh, decorating. I don't do fashion. Like, I, I myself am a wife-created product, all right? I don't know how to dress, all right? I'm trying on a new vest. I feel very insecure about it. It's very new for me, all right? (laughs) I'm just like, I'm just trying new things, all right? So I I am not a self-made man in any kind of creative element, okay? I am completely made by someone else, all right? I can own that, all right? And for every single one of us, for many of us, we may go, hey, as I think about this idea of creativity or this idea of, of music and art and literature, that's just not me. I'm not a creative type of person, all right? We used to have a meeting that occurred here in our church that was the creative team. And in fact, I was never invited to the creative team. And i I'm always made me feel like, well, i just guess I'm just not creative. Some of you may feel that way, that even as we talk about the dignity of work this morning and we're going to talk about the activity of creativity, you may go, I'm not that person. I'm not a creative person. And what I want you guys to see from the Genesis narrative and as we unpack this, that if you've been created in the image of God, which you have, if you're human, then you are created in His image as the one who is the creator and the cultivator of all good things, which means you are, if you're in His image, then you are by nature creative. Whatever your definition of creativity is, I'm going to blow it away because what I want you guys to see this morning is that every single one of us is creative. And that as we look at our vocations, as we look at our degrees, they become a primary venue and platform for our creativity. And that is what highlights the dignity of work. That really, as we look at this idea, as we think about this idea, that really every single one of us is creative. Every single one of us. Uh, if you're an engineer, because this is a great engineering school, I was computer engineering back in the day, clearly not using it right now, all right? Uh, except for my fancy PowerPoints, okay? But if you're an engineer, you're going to design buildings, you're going to design planes, you're going to design crazy tubes that allow humans to fly indoors, all right? You're going to do great things, okay? It's not just the musicians, it's not just the artists, that if you're an engineer, that's you. If you're a teacher, one day you're going to design lesson plans, you're going to design learning experiences that kids will step into so that they become developed into something better. Uh, If you're going to be a a researcher or a scientist, you're going to discover and you're going to discover and find and and put together cures, vaccines, treatment plans that maybe we never even imagined before. If you're a uh, politician, if you're going to go into law one day, if you're going to be an attorney, you're going to help design laws. You're going to help create uh, treaties. You're going to help create policies and laws and design governments for the benefit of people. You will be creative in whatever degree, in whatever vocation you're going to go to. Every single one of us is creative because we're in the image of God. And if that's the case, in whatever vocation, whatever degree that we're going to step into, it has the potential and the possibility to highlight the dignity of work and therefore the glory of God. Because we are modeled after him who was a creator and who was a cultivator. And as we do that, we end up developing something that's really different. What we end up developing is something we're going to talk about as culture. And notice what Tim Keller says as we continue on with this idea. He says, filling the earth means civilization, not just procreation. Back in Genesis 1, when God told Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, what God was talking about was not just merely procreation. It wasn't just merely have babies and fill the earth, take up some space, all right? Keller's going to say what it's talking about is civilization. And he goes on and he says, we get the sense that God does not merely want more individuals of the human species. He also wants the world to be filled with a human society. He could have just spoken the word and created millions of people in thousands of human settlements, but he didn't. He made it our job to develop and to build this society. That may be a huge shift for some of you guys if you think about the Genesis narrative as God called Adam and Eve to tend the garden, that that gardening analogy becomes an analogy for all vocations as we're called and and mandated and invited to participate with God in the development of His created order. And again, your vocations become one of the primary venues and opportunities you have to participate as a partner with Him in this grand plan. Okay, And really as we do that, what we end up developing is something that I'm going to call culture. That really, those ideas of society of civilization are just synonyms for the word culture that we often use. But what I want to do this morning, as kind of as we transition, is I want to try to recapture that word for you guys. That as you think about culture, what is it that you think of? For many of us, I think in the church, when we think of culture, we immediately think of some kind of abstract reality that is inherently evil. <laughs> that really, all the problems we have in our world are because of our evil culture. That's often, typically how we talk about. But Andy Crouch in his book, Culture Making, will say this about the culture. There's no such thing as the culture. And any attempt to talk about culture is misled. That for many of us, we have a wrong view of culture. When I think of culture, I think of high society types. I think of a young uh, metropolitan couple who's a yuppie who's in an art museum with champagne, a pinky finger out, and, and discussing the modern art they're looking at, which I don't know if it's even art sometimes, right? I don't know what's going on with some art, okay? Uh, but that's kind of what I think of. Uh, and sometimes we think of that or we think of some kind of, again, some kind of abstract idea. And what Andy Crouch will do in this book, Culture Making, is he's going to try to redefine culture for us. In fact, I'm giving you guys a series of resources that we go through this series that I think are incredibly helpful. One is Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor, which we're really unpacking much of what we do week to week. But another great book on this topic that we're trying to unpack this morning is this book called Culture Making, uh, Recovering Our Creative Calling by Andy Crouch. He does an amazing job on that book. And unpacking, again, the connection of Genesis and the, and the creation narrative to vocation on this idea of our call and our opportunity to create and to cultivate the earth in the midst of our vocations as God asked Adam and Eve to do from the very beginning. But really, as we think about culture, then what is culture? What do we do with culture? In his book, a great definition that he'll use is this, that culture is what human beings make of the world. Culture is what human beings make of the world. Which means really, as you think about culture, it really comes down to two different kinds of elements of culture. One is what we literally physically make of the world. And also the meanings that we derive, that we uh, uh, produce in terms of what's right and what's wrong, what's true and what's false. The culture is this idea of what we make of the world. Let me illustrate it for you guys a little bit. Uh, That really, what nature does, the natural raw order of things, will produce wildflowers, it will produce uh, elements that you can eat. Uh, Back to Genesis, God gives Adam and Eve animals, He gives them the plants of the field. But here's what culture creates Super Bowl snacks, all right? I don't know what your favorite snack is. I'll just tell you guys, I love the football, I love the snacks. And this is kind of a Settlers of Catan illustration for you as well. Snacks shaped like a game board for Catan, all right? So, but that's what culture does. That culture takes the natural order and it assembles it and it prioritizes it and it arranges it in amazing patterns for your delight and your consumption, all right? There's another example. Nature creates bushes. Culture creates bushes shaped like Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse, all right? And creates the happiest place on earth, which is where every Super Bowl winning quarterback goes immediately after the game, all right? disney okay why is that because culture creates things that are very tangible and that are very concrete when we think of culture we far too long think of something that's abstract that we can't get our hands on but culture is literally what we produce and what we make it's what we take the natural order and we create and we arrange it in such a way that it produces something new in genesis it was tools wine and music For us, sometimes it's processed snacks or whatever it is that we love, iPhones, all right? Those are cultural goods that have been created from the natural order, and it's made into something new that was previously unseen. That's what culture does. Culture makes those things, all right? Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're bad. Um, In fact, uh, put it this way too, uh, Andy Crouch says, as we think about culture, many of us wrestle with, is culture good or bad? I think for many of us, we have a wrong definition of culture, which is why his quote here, I think, is so interesting. He says this, that God's first and best gift to humanity is culture. The realm in which human beings themselves will be cultivators and creators and ultimately contributing to the cosmic <clears throat> purposes of the cultivator and the creator of the natural world. The culture is not a sphere or a realm that we're to avoid because It's dirty. That culture is the venue that we step into to participate with God's cosmic purposes for the world. And so not only do we need a new definition of culture, I think we also need a new uh, response and understanding of how to respond to culture. If, If we have a wrong view of it, no wonder we have a wrong response to it. And by and large, the church as it's viewed of culture as an abstract evil that's out there. By and large, our response to culture is to step back and avoid it. Jesus says be in the world, not of the world, but we just punt on the in the world and go, we won't be of the world because we're going to get out of here. <laughs> All right? And so we retreat into our own schools, we retreat into our own bookstores, our own coffee shops, our own schools, our own everything, and we just clean ourselves and quarantine ourselves from the world and from the culture. And we've really missed what God's called us to, which is why I love this next quote from Crouch again. He says, cultural change will only happen when something new displaces to some extent existing culture in a very tangible way. For so many of us, it's interesting to look at studies sociologically. The number of books that have been created and written with the idea or the subject of changing the world uh, has astronomically increased in the last 50 years. Prior to that, there might have been one book in the first two millennia, all right? And then after that, man, they just start coming out over and over again. Your generation has a viewpoint that that you want to change the world, that you want to impact the world, and that is phenomenal. But I think for many of us, as we have a wrong view of culture, We don't understand how we actually change the world at all. You don't change the world by criticizing the world, by consuming the world, or by copying the world, or by retreating from the world. You change the world by entering in and creating something new. Does that make sense? The only way to really change the world is by creating something new that displaces an old product and an old system and an old way of thought. Which means if you want to change the world, you cannot retreat from the world because it will just keep going on and on in its own merry way. You have to enter the world and create something that changes the world as you know it. The internet has forever changed our world <laughs> in both good ways and bad ways. Think about the internet and it's now how you get your information. It's now how many of you have a lot of connect, contacts and have a lot of conversations. It's totally changed the way that we think, the way that we relate. For good and for bad. Highways have completely changed the way that our system and our country has transportation, has the movement of goods and products across our cities and across our country, across our states. That the highway system, the internet itself, both of those pieces have totally changed maps, they've changed ways of moving, they've changed ways of operating, they've changed our whole fabric of society. Cultural change comes with the creation of something new, which is again why your vocation provides you one of the greatest and creative ways for you to create and to create something new that displaces an old order and changes the world. Your vocations, your degrees, your professions are not an obstacle to what God wants to do in your life. They're the very venue, sometimes the primary venue that He's going to use you to impact your cities, your communities, and your country. And really one of the questions I want to wrap up with for us this morning is this, what is it therefore that you want to make? Where is it that your creativity will have an opportunity to come out and be unleashed for our cities and for our communities. I want to end with a clip from a tool uh, commercial uh, from Craftsman.
1: We once made things incredible things. Things some would say inspired became more than what they started as and became bigger than all of us. And then somewhere along the way Some of us forgot. Making turned to buying. Crafting into assembling. And what was once a way of life became a forgotten hobby. But our fire to create is not lost. Nor can it ever be extinguished. Our passion to make is part of us, And needs only be fueled again we were born to make. Mold, build, shape, transform, incredible things. Coursing through our veins, the urge to make something from nothing and build a legacy for us all. Surrounding you lies earth, wire, wood, glass, steel, brick, and stone just waiting to be made great. Go ahead and make something of it. And inspire the rest of us. We all are, and always will be, made to make.
0: All right, I love that commercial. I think it appeals to something that game makers realize that tool makers do as well, that you and I have a delight to create. That we were designed to work and work's primary viewpoint by which it highlights the dignity of work is in our ability to create and to demonstrate creativity. And so my question for you guys this morning as we wrap up is simply this, what were you made to make? What were you made to make? As you think about the world, as you think about our culture, as you think about your degree and your profession, what is it that you find a vision to make? What is it that you find a passion to invest your life into to develop something new? What is that? And far too long, I think we've so often divorced that from God's purposes for our life. And what I'm wanting to do for you guys is continue to try to bring these back together. I realize this morning a lot of what we've quoted from are a couple of different resources that are extra biblical, that are highlighting and speaking to the Genesis narrative. And so next week we're going to come back and we're going to look very specifically in the New Testament as it's going to talk a lot about the motivation that makes work have dignity. But sometimes we have to focus on the what of work to see what kind of work has dignity. And I think the kind of work that uniquely highlights the dignity of work is the work that highlights the creativity of man, which is a model for the creativity of a God who is the ultimate creator. Next week, we're going to see really the kind of motivation that is behind that kind of activity that it's not just for us, but it's for someone else. And that's what makes that kind of work have incredible dignity. That's where we're going to go next week. But as we wrap up this morning, what were you made to make? What is it you have a passion to create? What is it you have a conviction and a vision to impact your life into a degree and a profession to see something new happen? What is that? What's God been knitting? What's God been shaping in you? For that is what we want to see you unleashed. For that is what we want to see God do something in you measurably uh, more than you could imagine both in you and through you. So let me pray for us. Lord, I come before you this morning, and Lord, we just continue to look at this Genesis narrative and go, man, what does this say about work? That you would call Adam and Eve into a garden that you would entrust them with a natural order and that you would call them to be fruitful and to multiply and to develop this natural order into something new. We look at the arc of our scriptures and we see a garden come in Genesis and a city come in Revelation and we see what you're doing in the arc of the scriptures moving toward the development of human society into cities. Lord, so often we think of cities as a place of evil. We think of careers as a place of greed. And Lord, I pray that you would continually, slowly but surely, reimagine vocation and reimagine work for us. Help us to see it in a new way. And I pray, Lord, next week as we jump into a series of New Testament passages on the motivation that we ought to have behind work, I pray that you would continue to slowly reimagine this thing for us. And Lord, I pray for so many of us that feel like we're not creative types. Lord, I pray that you would sit on that lie and that you would explode it. And that you would help us to see that however you've made us, whatever passions we have, however quirky our personalities may be, however limited it feels like our capacities are, that you have knit us and you've designed us to be creative. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see in the midst of our vocations, in the midst of our degrees, the opportunity that we have to create and to design and to model and to participate with you as the ultimate creator and the ultimate designer, Lord. Lord, we ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit we pray. Amen.